Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. My guests today, back by popular demand, are the NBA's scheduling czars, Evan Wash and Tom Corelli. The full NBA schedule for 2021-22 dropped last week, of course. And per usual, you, the NBA fans, you, you got some questions, some concerns, some gripes, grievances, grievances even. Maybe you don't like how many back-to-backs your team got or five games in seven nights, or maybe they were snubbed on Christmas Day. How did the league pick those games? How did they make all these decisions? How do they decide who plays on opening night? Is it all just ratings and dollars? Well, a lot, but not entirely. There's a reason for every data point on the schedule. It's a massive, complicated undertaking. No one, of course, explains it better than the folks who put it together. Uh, Evan Wash is the NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Strategy and Analytics. Tom Corelli is the league's Senior VP of Game Schedule Management. They both do a bunch of stuff for the league, but the schedule is probably the biggest annual undertaking. Always an interesting discussion. Before we get to that, a reminder, please subscribe, rate, and review The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. We are also on YouTube. If you'd actually like to see me and my guests yammering instead of just hearing us yammer. Uh, Go to YouTube, search Sports Illustrated Podcasts. That channel has the Crossover Pod as well as the Open Floor NBA Podcast and all the other great SI podcasts. Go check that out. Okay, my conversation with Evan Wash and Tom Corelli is coming up next, so stick around. 
This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Now, very pleased to be joined again by the czars of the NBA schedule, Evan Wash and Tom Corelli. Gentlemen, welcome back, and especially to you, Tom. Uh, thanks for making time. I know you're on a kind of a pseudo-vacation, and I uh, appreciate you guys both taking the time to break down the schedule for us again. Good to be back. Absolutely. Tradition unlike any other. A tradition unlike any other, which, by the way, we are now – we almost lost Tom for this one. Uh, thank you for making the time and for, for, for finding your way uh, on – to the zoom. Um, but this is three for three. Now we this is our third one. And all three times you two have not been in the same room. We had me and one of you in the same room and somebody by phone each time. And it's been different each time. Now we're all in different places. Um, this still further underscoring my belief that after you guys finally finish the schedule, you want nothing to do with each other. You can't stand being in the same room. Well, we, we never actually set foot in the same room this year to do the schedule. So uh, <laughs> we didn't even set foot. Right. We didn't even set foot in the same state. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, the pandemic has uh, has claimed uh, much more than our social lives. It's uh, it's claimed everything. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff to get to here, and um, I just I'll just start with this. Actually, we're starting in October and we're ending in June, which seems really normal and great. Uh, were you relieved just to as as the guys who are in charge of doing this and have all the adjustments you had to make on the fly the last two years? How relieved just to finally have some sense of normalcy. And I understand we still have a short turnaround, shorter than usual. But this seems like this would have been a lot simpler, at least, than what you've been doing for the last 18 months. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Tom can certainly speak to the, to the process side of this as well and how difficult it's been to work with our teams. But, but just from a, a basketball and, and season perspective, I think it gets lost. The whole reason or one of the main reasons why we played a 72-game schedule this past season uh, was a to avoid overlap with the Olympics, both from a, a fan engagement standpoint, but also to allow players who wanted to participate in the Olympics to do so. But also because we felt it was critically important that we get back on track to our typical October to June window with our 82 game season. And so we cut last season short in, in order to do that. Um, and, and we felt that, you know, the, the late July to late October timeframe was a sufficient break significantly longer than we had last year. Uh, and so, yes, it, it feels great to, to get back on track. Um, and the fact that we did four different schedule versions over a 14-month period between the bubble, the first half of the 2021 season, the second half of the 2021 season, and now this coming 21-22 season, uh, it will be especially nice, I think, to go another 10 months without having to do any schedule, knock on wood. Uh, but but that's that was the goal, and it's, it's you know fulfilling and relieving to be there at this point. Yeah, I was going to echo that and say that it's great relief to be able to be back to what Adam referred to and we've been talking about as our normal cadence of playing in October. Now, it meant that we had a very short track <clears throat> to do this. It's a very short track for turnaround from the end of the finals <clears throat> and the Olympics to the start of the 21-22 season. But this is, you know, this is the window um, that works best for our game, we feel. Yeah. 
So I'm going to crib some notes here from my pal John Schumann over at NBA.com because he had a great breakdown of some of the um, just kind of structural highlights, which I think are much closer to what we're used to in a a schedule. So this is from John Schumann. Uh, Average of 13 and a half back-to-backs per team down from 15.2 this past season when things were obviously a little bit compressed. And there was a lot of talk about that and whether it had effect on injuries and all that. Evan and I discussed that when he was on the pod a couple months ago. Uh, so back down to a normal range of, of back-to-backs. Uh, no four games in five nights. Last season, there were five of those. Only three instance, uh, instances of eight games in 12 nights. That's belonging to the Grizzlies, Spurs, and Blazers. Last season, there were 36 instances of eight, eight and 12. Um, there are an average of 16 instances per team of at least two days rest between games. That's up from 10 last season, so that's pretty dramatic. And there are fewer one-game trips. This is not something I don't think we've talked about before or something that you guys have necessarily focused on, if I recall. But So only 7.1 one-game trips per team this coming season, down from 10 this past season. And that helps uh, result in a mileage reduction uh, where teams are going to average about 43,000 miles per team, which, uh, from what I read, was a record low for a 30-team 82-game or 32 team, uh, 82 game season. So how close to normal is, is all that, that I just read down? What's new within all of that and, and how satisfied are you with where you came out? So everything sounded accurate, which is, which is a good starting point. Um, <laughs> and uh, all of that reflects the priorities we placed on this season. So obviously last season was unique in, in both the compression uh, to fit the 72 games in, but then the postponements and rescheduling we had to do. So, so you mentioned all those four games in five nights last year. We didn't schedule teams for four games in five nights. Those were the results of postponements due to COVID and actually the, those storms in Texas last year that, that cost us a few games in order to reschedule those games and put those into the second half that necessitated the four games in five nights. And so we've now gone five straight years without scheduling teams for four games in five nights and rescheduling sometimes forces us there. So that was that's more business as usual. As you said, the back-to-backs back down to a normal range for a full season for us. The priority uh, was on travel for this year. And I think one of the things we learned from the, the pandemic season is that things we had to do last year to cut down on flights for, for various safety reasons, uh, playing consecutive games in close geographic markets. So teams going to LA and playing both the Lakers and Clippers consecutively, uh, same thing in New York, Chicago, Milwaukee, Golden State and Sacramento, Miami, Orlando, that you can really cut down on travel, both in terms of miles and number of trips, uh, flights, if you combine those road games. And the new element we put in last year, the, the series where two teams play two consecutive games in the same market, uh, which also cuts down a flight later in the season. And so we leverage those things to reduce the mileage down to that record low. You mentioned an estimated 43,000 miles per team for this coming season, because there is a sense that that's going to be particularly helpful from a, a player health and rest perspective. And the last thing I'll add is uh, it's not just the number of two day breaks um, that teams have in, the, in their schedule. If you think about a, a standard schedule, teams are playing roughly every other day. And so you could schedule a full season where a team plays every other day, has no back-to-backs, but they'd also never have two days off. And a typical NBA team won't practice if they have a game day off and then another game, they're only going to practice in those, in those windows of two and three days off. And so to build in that, that rest time and that practice time, you need those. 
And so what we focus on is not just the number, is that the actual spacing, that we don't want teams to be going too long without an instance of those. And last year we had, because of those uh, postponements, we had a couple teams that went the entire second half of the season, which was 67 days long, without a two-day break. And so they were just playing, you know, game off, game, game off. And so those patterns were incredibly taxing. Uh, we reverted to a normal schedule here and, and put a heightened focus on making sure that those breaks came at a regular cadence for all teams. And so no teams have anything remotely close to a 67 day stretch without two days off. And that was a big focus as well. I want to hit the mileage thing real quick, just because I needed, I didn't see a baseline for this. So if it's an average of 43,000 miles and that's the lowest ever, what is that down from? What has been the most recent high point or what's the, the rolling yeah, average? So the our, last our, our average uh, and the, the, had the 1920 season been played to its completion, that, that full season schedule would have been around 46,000 miles. So it was something on the order of an 8% reduction. Um, but but an even bigger dent in the number of flights, again, because because you're playing consecutive games in markets where there are two teams or, uh, you know, the series themselves, which which cut down those flights. So so all in all, we, we believe a, a material materially reduced travel burden on the teams. The fact that there's going to be only about seven one game trips per team instead of 10 in, in the 2019-20 season, which was the last full season scheduled that way anyway. Obviously, it didn't finish that way. Um, is that a new efficiency that you guys were, were focused on, was trying to do fewer of these out and back one game trips? Yeah. I, I, so that, sorry, I should have touched that as well. That builds on sure. the exact same point about flights. So if you play 41 road games in a season at the two extremes, you could play 41 one game trips in which case you would have 82 flights because for each of those road games, you would fly to the road game and home and you do it 41 times. That would be 82 flights. You could also play it as one 41 game road trip. You could leave, play your 41 games and come home. And in that case, you'd only have 42 flights because you'd fly out for the 41 games at home. So teams are going to fly somewhere between 42 and 82 times. The more single game trips you have, the closer you get to that 82 number. And so by reducing from an average of 10 down to an average of seven, we've taken another dent in the number of flights that teams have to take over the course of the season and combine those trips into two, three, and four gamers. And so all of those elements, the series, the close geographic markets, the single game trip reduction, all of that uh, you know, creates less time on the road, less flying. So this is obviously just the, the latest, you know, with, with referring to the one game trips reduction. It's, this is like the latest effort by you guys over the course of years here, finding all these different ways to nip and tuck and stretch and do whatever's possible to kind of lessen the burden on, on players physically, right? Whether that's fewer flights, whether it's the fewer back-to-backs, whether it's um, simply, you know, the way games are spaced out. And all of this is is toward, I would say, a couple things. And correct me if I'm wrong or if I overstate, but some of this is just about player health, obviously, and injuries. Some of it is potentially to, to counter load management and so to, to make load management seem like it's not necessary anymore. But we still see a lot of load management after years of you guys making these efforts to, to streamline the schedule. We still see a, a fair amount of load management. Um, and obviously, guys are still getting hurt. <laughs> and I know that, you know, there was a obviously a vigorous discussion this past season about whether the compressed schedule was leading to more injuries or whether it was just more prominent players who were getting hurt and all that. But this is a tough one. But do you guys, because it's, it's, it's so broad, but do you have the data and the confidence that everything that you've been doing for the last five years to make the schedule more player-friendly, health-friendly, sleep-friendly is actually having the impact that you set out? Is, are, are those things matching up? Do we know? 
We, we don't know. I mean, it, no, no secret. You mentioned the injury rates from this season. They, they were high and, they, and they've been high for a number of years. It's, it's hard to draw sort of any year to year conclusion be, because of the unique nature of the past few seasons. You know, we're not seeing injury rates spike uh, necessarily, but we're also not seeing them come down significantly. But there's a lot of outside factors there that it's, it's, it's impossible to tie anything to a specific scheduling metric. I think what we would say about the season is these are no brainer improvements to make, right? The NBA has been, has had an 82 game schedule for over 50 years and we've largely played in the same window. So these, these have always been elements of the schedule, the density, the travel, and these are no brainer solutions that if we said to any team or any sports scientist, is it better to have more density or less density? Is it better to have more travel or less travel? Is it better to have more sleep or less sleep? We all know what the answers are to those things. The only reason we weren't able uh, to execute some of these improvements in the past was either because you know our, our computer systems have gotten better at sort of finding paths to do these things, but also because they generally come with trade-offs. Um, and and the most obvious trade-off that that comes with a lot of this stuff is the business side. And so, for example, one one way to uh, reduce the burden of a back-to-back is to have a team play two consecutive games at home, what we call a home-home back-to-back. And there was a historical view that that was a challenge from an attendance and gate perspective, that if a team hosted consecutive games on a Tuesday and Wednesday, that they might see a dip in attendance and gate relative to what they would see if those games were, were more spaced out. But that meant that now the back-to-back was going to have travel in it, because if you can't do a home-home back-to-back, by definition, one or both of those games is on the road. And so looking for those opportunities to challenge some of those business notions, we've found that we can move the needle on a lot of these basketball travel player health metrics without undue negative influence on the business side. And that's great. And that's why we've moved the direction we have. But you can't then draw the line and say, well, that has reduced or increased injury at this rate. And so we're, we're trying to get smarter about which of these scheduling elements um, you know, actually do drive injuries. And so, for example, we, uh, in partnership with IQVIA, our, our um, you know, player health research, medical research firm, we, we issued a pa- we uh, published a paper a few years ago that, that IQVIA had authored that basically dispelled the notion that schedule density and isolation was tied to injuries, that, that we don't see a higher injury rate in the second night of back-to-backs than we do in other games. And we don't see, you know, higher injury rates based on the number of games played over a certain amount of time. And so, there's a lot of other things going on here that that can't just be tied to like, oh, that scheduling pattern caused that player's injury, which is is too often where people want to go with this. But but we we generally know uh, the things that are more beneficial to player health, and that's uh, less travel, more sleep, you know, more rest and recovery, of course. And so we're we're trying to move that direction. Right. So even if you can't, you know, because so so many of these things are, are they're basically unprovable, right? Trying to draw these lines between injury and fatigue health and uh and 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 less you know fewer games in a given span like you can't it's it, it, it's this is all really hard stuff to just prove definitively but intuitively this all sounds right and it sounds to me like the the, the basic guiding uh, guideline for you guys is um do whatever's possible to make the, the schedule less onerous you know irrespective of what the data may or may not tell you or how people might tease out that data uh the, the bottom line is less burden on the players is probably good for not only player health, but the quality of the game. And even if you can't prove that out in any, you know, scientific way, it's, it seems like the, the, just the intuitive aspect of that is, is enough. Yeah. And well, and, and it, the, the reason that it has to be enough now is until we can pinpoint the specific things that, that come with these trade-offs, um, 
you have to do it that way. So for example, we could further significantly reduce back-to-backs. As I said, we, we could move closer to a world where teams play every other day for most of the season and we would have far fewer back-to-backs. But you would also, as I said, eliminate almost all instances of teams having two or three days off between games, which in turn is going to eliminate opportunities to practice. And so we think that that's a net negative, that if all of a sudden, yeah, there were fewer back-to-backs, but teams were never getting the chance to rest for two days, teams were never getting the chance to practice, that the player load of that schedule would not be beneficial to us. So same thing on travel and and uh, and um, and game density. And so until we have science that can pinpoint the specific things that we think lead to, to injury rate increases and that the trade-off to reduce those things doesn't create its own new issues. It's, it has to be more general, as you've said, and that's, and that's where we are. Yeah. All right. So um, let me hit one of the things that came up um, as I was uh, asking folks on, on Twitter to, to weigh in also, and I'll, I'll get to a bunch of these later in the, in our conversation. But um, one of the interesting things was that there was an effort by you guys to move a lot of the uh, national games in the early part of the schedule from TNT Thursday to TNT Tuesday until after the NFL season. And the the uh, perception there is that this is an issue of, of trying to go head to head with the NFL. Um, is that is it as simple as that, that you're better off ratings wise to avoid NFL conflicts when you're uh, in that part of the, the, the calendar that overlaps with them? Um, how did you get to this place? And, and I don't I didn't have the numbers in front of me. So you may you could tell me how many how many games were shifted. Well, basically, you know, we've been talking with, well, we talk with our TV partners all the time. We talk about scheduling issues. We talk about different things. We added an earlier Saturday night um, game before Christmas on ABC that we haven't done before because they had, they saw an opportunity where they might be able to get uh, another primetime Saturday night. So we added that. We've been speaking with Turner for a long time about, you know, does it make sense? Because we only play, we only do one doubleheader a week in the fall on Turner. And are we better off staying on Thursdays or are we better off taking an opportunity to try and move to Tuesdays um, and have less competition? And I think together we decided that that was, you know, a good path for us to try and go down and see how that would work out. Now, after we come back in January, then we'll go to our normal Tuesday, Thursday cadence uh, on TNT for the rest of, for the rest of the 22. 2022 part of the season um but yeah it's been a a lot of conversations with them we uh think this is a great opportunity for us to grow the ratings is this the first year that you've really been that nfl conscious in in how you're scheduling the the national broadcast i don't know they've been around for a long time well i mean obviously the nfl has (laughs) yes but is the first i mean Okay. Are they, are, is, is it always in mind? Is this always something that you have to factor in in general? This is a new wrinkle, but uh, is, is that always something you guys have to be mindful of in, in putting out the schedule? Yeah, I, I think we're mindful of every competition we're, <laughs> we're working against, whether it's the World Series in October, whether it's the Masters in April, where we're going to have the last uh, weekend of our season is going to be the weekend of the Masters. We have um, our TV partners. Both of our TV partners are now partners with the NHL. So that now coming into this season. So that's a wrinkle that we hadn't faced before. So now we've got to work with that. But yes, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the World Series, um, the Academy Awards, which happens to air on our ABC partner. So we're cognizant of competition everywhere. 
Um, all right, so back to the structure of the schedule. I think I got more questions on this issue than any other via Twitter. Um, fans really seem to love the, the two-game series. Uh, same two teams, back-to-back nights in the same arena. And you guys scheduled in 23 of these, if I've got this correct, um, in the same arena this coming season. Ten teams don't have any of these. Um, and it's the, uh, the Rockets have five, Clippers and Kings have four each, uh, Rockets and Sacramento. Da, da, da. So I don't know what I don't know where you landed on this past season of how many two game sets you had, um, but only 23 for the coming season. And I say only 23 because, as I say, a lot of fans came to me on Twitter with why not more of these? And so is that about uh, just the, the limits of, of tweaking the schedule? Is it about what teams actually liked or wanted or were open to? Uh, how did we come down on uh, or, or get to just 23? Yeah, so so it was uh, it was not science to get to 23. So what what happened was uh, last season I believe we had something in the order of of 60 um, and or just short of that. And we we talked closely with our teams and players this off season about the impact of those series. I would say from from a team side, specifically on the basketball side, there was it was nearly unanimous that they were uh, they were positive on the impact of those series because again, cuts down travel, right? So instead of 41 games where you're flying in for that game, now you got a bunch of instances where you're not traveling before a road game. And of course that, that offers some benefit to that road team, gets them into a routine in that market. Um, and so it was, it was again, near unanimously positive. Interestingly, we also even heard from teams that as the home team uh, in those series, that they appreciated the opportunity to play the same consecutive opponent, which we would have thought would be the opposite. You, you would think that if there's an advantage to the road team, that by definition, it's a disadvantage to the home team. But teams, I think, from a, a preparation standpoint, from a, especially a playoff team preparing for the strategy of playing the same opponent multiple times in a row, um, that that cadence of either the back-to-back or the day off between, uh, they just liked it. And so that was all positive. Uh, the player feedback was a little more mixed. Uh, interestingly, we heard from some players, particularly as it relates to some of our more attractive uh, so-called markets, um, that two trips to some of those markets over the course of the season spread out may not be a bad thing. Uh, and so they said, sure, I'm fine doing a series, but you know, don't make it to City X uh, without, without naming names because I want to go there twice. So that, that was actually pretty interesting. Um, so where we netted out was that it was definitely something we wanted to continue the big unknown was what I mentioned earlier was the, the, the team business impact and the, and the fan impact because most of last season, we either had limited or no fans in the arena. We didn't really get a feel for how those series would impact uh, attendance and fan interest in those games. And so before going full throttle this season in what we expect to be a more normal season with full arenas, we wanted to do a bit more of a pilot test to say what will happen when team X visits team Y for two consecutive games. Will that impact uh, attendance will that impact gate for those games uh, before deciding how to proceed in future years. And so what we did was we basically took out a constraint that used to be in our scheduling optimization model. We used to put a constraint in that says you cannot play two consecutive games against the same team in the same place because we didn't have series. We forced it last year. Now we said, do what you will. If you find some, some interesting paths or, or, or beneficial paths to do it, great. Don't force it and let's see where it nets out. And so we net it out you know, with, with about half of the number we had last year in total and spread across teams. Some teams, as you said, have zero, some teams have, have more. And where we focused the computer was on the ones that offered the most travel benefit. 
So for example, there's no need for, you know, New York to go to Brooklyn and play a series. Uh, there's no need for Golden State to go to Sacramento and play a series, but, but maybe as we have, there's a, a benefit when the Clippers have to go to Houston because that's a pretty long flight in the Western Conference. They're going to play two games. Well, guess what? We're going to save them a flight to Houston. They're going to play two games there, right? Similarly, uh, you know, the Dallas going out to LA is, is another series on the schedule this year. So we focused on some of those longer travel opportunities to get the most bang for the buck. We'll look at the, the data after this year and decide whether uh, we want to, you know, sort of push the pedal on that going forward. So last season, I, I it was, think, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say the other the other point of that was last year as we were doing this, the arenas were far more wide open than they are now. There's a lot more concert business that has come back. Um, a lot of other additional events in our buildings that pretty much were very empty last year when we were trying to schedule these games. So we had a lot more flexibility. Um, you know, we're going to see how this plays out now as we go forward. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So last season, it was almost more of out of necessity, doing what you guys could just to get the season scheduled and done in under unusual circumstances. This coming season, is this is more like the pilot program, it sounds like. So this this will be the test run for whether the business concerns that we would intuit would, would be there actually play out, right? So if this doesn't, doesn't work out well, if attendance craters on the second night and ticket sales crater on the second night, um, then we're going to probably see the two-game series, I would think scrapped or severely curtailed for the, the following year. Yeah, it depends. I mean, it, we, we may find that it's matchup dependent, right? So if two premier, we, we have examples of two premier opponents playing a series with both games on television this coming year. We had that last year as well. So presumably you might see a little more, uh, you know, attendance support for, for those types of matchups versus, you know, middle or lower tier opponents coming in. So we really want to get a sense of just what's the holistic impact. Cause really all we were able to measure last year is, is the basketball side of it. And frankly, we weren't even able to measure the the player and and team um, uh, lifestyle side, if you will, because we had such restrictive protocols in place that a team in a market for three days couldn't even leave the hotel for more than an hour a day uh, at some parts of the season. And so that that was overly restrictive that made it more challenging to be in, in a city for three days for two games. So um, want to get a feel for it in a normal season. Great learning from last year that it may have legs. But but yes, if, if this is our normal year, Let's pilot test it. Let's see the holistic impact and we'll reassess next summer how we want to move forward. Yeah. So the jury is still out on that. Um, you did not have to, in the in the in the broad sense, account for COVID this time in terms of the way you scheduled it. But of course, as we sit here in August, the Delta variant is spreading and COVID's still looming, and none of us know where things will be in late October when you guys get underway again. So two questions here. Um, how much did you guys how much time did you spend thinking about how the pandemic might flare up and impact you again, whether it's about the schedule itself or whether teams might uh, have to go fanless again or any of that? But also uh, it brings back in this other element, which is you did last season in two schedule dumps. You did one half at a time to give yourself the out in case there were postponements. As we go into this season, obviously there's the hope, and especially with uh, you know more and more people being vaccinated, that it shouldn't be necessary. But I, I just wonder, was there any consideration given to breaking up the schedule again, doing it in two different releases, uh, first half, second half, just in case the worst happens and we go back to lockdown, fanless games, whatever, or teams have, have a breakout or a, um, you know, a, 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 a COVID outbreak. Can't speak this morning. We, uh, we, we, we did consider that the two stage schedule release, but decided for our, for our own sanity uh, we, we, we needed those 10 months before we have to do another schedule, um, which was, was a small, small part of it. But, but to, to be serious, so we talked about it at length. Uh, where we netted out was uh, in a world where you're anticipating significant number of postponements, a two-stage two schedule release makes sense. Uh, we are now in a place that Delta variant aside, 
we have a large majority of our players vaccinated. Uh, we have, you know, we played through modified protocols in summer league. We believe that this season will just look fundamentally different in terms of the restrictions on players, the likelihood of outbreaks, the need to postpone games. And so with the expectation that we're not going to have that many game postponements, um, there are some, there are a lot of downsides to the two stage schedule release. The, the biggest one that we found that we just never knew because we hadn't done it was uh, it puts a ton of pressure on selecting which games go in the first half and the second half. Um, and the reason for that is if you think about a team's, you know, take, take a, a West coast team, a Pacific time zone team that is going to make a certain number of East coast trips or trips to the central time zone. Well, if you schedule too many of those in the first half or too few of those in the first half, you could be unduly impacting that team's second half schedule. And then when the postponements come, it puts that excess burden on that team to try to fit in. Well, they already were going to have a, a really tough travel pattern. Now we added in these postponed games. We had some teams, as I mentioned earlier, playing through some really, really difficult stretches in the second half because we couldn't perfectly split the travel, the back-to-backs, et cetera, across two halves, right? Because if you take the overall 82-game problem, now you're basically trying to solve it twice. You're trying to perfect it for one half and perfect it for the second half when the second half is so unknown. Throw in the national TV portion of this, which you know we're trying to project out which teams deserve the, the national television appearances in the first half versus the second half. It just added complexity in a, in a way that we thought was not a benefit to us unless we thought we were going to have uh, many postponements, which we don't. And so we decided that the better path this year was to release a full schedule. Of course, we can always modify the schedule if necessary, as we did in the 1920 season where we had to cut it short and go to the bubble. So we'll, we'll have opportunities to revisit if, if COVID takes us there. But I think we're a lot more optimistic than we were going into last season. So no, and, and uh, justifiably so, I think, I hope. Um, and, and sorry, sorry. The, the other piece, and, and Tom can touch on this, it related to the arena is um, arenas are booking fast. And so if we didn't release a second half schedule and and had to ask teams to hold another 75 days, you know, from, from January through April, I think we would have had a revolt on our hands as well. So it, it sort of served all parties in that sense. I spoke to a team yesterday who said that so we released the schedule Friday at three o'clock and the person who does the arena bookings for one of the, one of the teams said at three Oh five, I was looking to try and find the other dates that I could book shows into. So as soon as, as soon, as soon as we release the dates that not only that we're using that a team is playing on, but the dates that we're not using. So if there's happens to be a Friday or Saturday in a market where they don't have a game, but they had held it because they didn't know what we were doing yet till we released our draft schedule and our final schedule. They go, well, wait a minute now, we, we've got a great chance to get this concert that was sort of on the back burner, but now, you know, now we can get two nights of that show in there and that's a big deal. And if you, you know, especially the arenas have gone through this shortage of events and thus shortage of revenue for the last 18 months. And so now, as soon as we released those dates, bang, they were out there trying to, you know, trying to get shows. Now, on the other hand, in the last month of the process or last three weeks of the process, there were two different tours that canceled dates in the spring. So we got some dates back. So this is a very, the one thing, uh, you know, the one thing we've learned is the flexibility that we have to have in this at things that we would have said two years ago, well, we can't do that. We go, oh, okay. We'll, we'll we'll change that. We'll 
rearrange this part of the schedule to make sure we get the games in and make sure we can uh, finish our schedule and be competitively fair as much as we can. Uh, how confident are you guys that the Toronto Raptors will be playing 41 home games in Toronto? Better question for the Canadian government. I, I think uh, as we understand it today, they're on, a, they're on a trajectory to be able to play their games at home. That's certainly the, the franchise's uh, objective. And, and you know, they've been working closely with the government to, to make that a reality. Um, but but at this point, yes, we're, we're confident. But there's, of course, many unknowns there. Yeah. Um, are there contingencies for the Raptors? Are there contingencies in general due to COVID? Uh, we, we did not build in any specific contingencies for the Raptors. And in fact, you know, had some discussions with them. The, the Tampa option ended up working quite well from a scheduling perspective last year. Uh, it becomes more of a challenge with an already released schedule if you were to try to move Raptors games to Tampa, because, for example, a team might have a back-to-back -back where they're supposed to play in, let's say, Milwaukee one night and Toronto the next. Uh, that gets materially harder if it's Milwaukee one night and Tampa the next. And so we weren't really able to, to build that flexibility in. But, you know, we did discuss with them what, you know, what the timelines and things would look like. But uh, other than that, no, we don't we don't have any sort of fundamental contingencies other than than what I mentioned, that we always have the ability to move things around as necessary. Um, but we think, you know, we think we, we put out the best schedule we can, given what we know now. All right. So I've, I've held back on this one because this is this is our, our annually most spicy topic. So let's let's jump into Christmas Day, shall we? Um, sure. my, my, my colleagues on the open floor podcast, uh, Chris Herring and Michael Pina had a field day dumping on you guys, not by name. They weren't getting personal. Um, but they were, uh, aside from Nets Lakers, they were not sold on your schedule. So, uh, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger here, but I'm, I'm going to quote, I'm going to throw my colleagues under the bus. Here's here. Here we go. Chris Herring of Celtics Bucks says, there's nothing Christmassy about it. Uh, they might as well be on different days. Um, and he says that the league is really starved of rivalries, and maybe that's why we get Celtics Bucks. I, on the other hand, guys, I see two teams that wear a lot of green, and so to me it makes perfect sense you would put both of them on Christmas against each other. Um, Pena also makes the note that uh, the Hawks at Knicks is unfair because the Hawks were the better team and pretty much smoked the Knicks in the playoffs, but they're the ones who have to go on the road. Maybe because the Knicks play at the Garden. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, of Mavs Jazz, Michael Pina said, this matchup is so random. There's no history here, no bad blood, no connection of any kind of drum-up intrigue. So the critiques is mostly about the idea that there have got to be more intriguing, spicy, compelling matchups. Uh, not, those were not knocks on the quality of those teams. They're all good teams. But what is there to Jazz Mavs, for instance? So uh, let's let's go. Uh, you guys, uh, fire away at Michael Pina and Chris Herring and how wrong they are. Uh, give me a sense of how we got to that slate of five in particular. Okay. So let's let, – without taking anything personally, it's fine. Um, <laughs> we've got 10 teams to play on Christmas and a lot of worthy candidates, right? So you're going to probably disappoint at least 10 and probably the other the other 10 as well of teams that don't get to play on Christmas. For example, Utah playing at home on Christmas, um, the team with the best record in the West last year certainly deserves a chance to play on Christmas. Dallas is Luka Doncic, who's a very um, you know, exciting, intriguing player. That, um, so that seems like a that seems like a good spot. Because we need to play five games at 12 noon, 2.30, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and 10.30. So 
therefore you've got to try and match up the buildings you've got to try and match up time zones and you've got to try and match up matchups that are going to be as compelling as you can possibly create when you're releasing the schedule in august um milwaukee is the defending champions it's sort of an unwritten traditional rule that the champs get to play at home on christmas so okay that's one venue new york's been a great venue for us on christmas historically it's been terrific for us um the fact that the hawks haven't played on christmas since 1989 um and played in new york was the last time they were on uh it's a great little story and trey young certainly you know made his uh made his made his impression on playing in new york so we think that's a we think that one's a great matchup you know i'll defend them all if you, we want to come up with alternatives that's fine but we don't do these in a vacuum you know we look at these very closely we talk very much with our uh friends at the walt disney company about the abc games and the espn games and they're really important to us and we you know the brooklyn lake the, the brooklyn and laker game you know at eight o'clock eastern is a terrific game now you alluded you mentioned this earlier that you know do we pay attention to competition yeah the nfl decided that they're going to play two games on christmas they're going to play the green bay packers at 4 30 and they're going to play the arizona cardinals at eight o'clock and holy smokes the milwaukee bucks and the phoenix suns were the two teams that played in the nba finals and so in an effort to try and give them the you know the attention that that accomplishment deserves you know we juggled around a little bit so milwaukee's playing at 2 30 before the packers play at 4 30 at home the uh the phoenix suns are playing at five o'clock against golden state um before the arizona cardinals play at home at eight o'clock so very cognizant of competition um you know hopefully clay thompson will be back um by christmas and that game gets even more attractive than it is right now. So I'm not personally, you know, I got plenty of, we have plenty of people who complain about our matchups on, on Christmas and certain ones of them. And as long as I've been doing this, uh, both the overall schedule and working on the TV schedule, very rarely do we have unanimity of opinion that you guys were, that we were perfect on this. And that includes my son who's complaining about, you know, how did you do this? <laughs> I, 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 so I agree with all that. And I'll, I'll just add, I mean, in the, the six or seven years that we've been doing this, I, I would say we are at a high point in terms of the number of teams that could make the case that they should be on Christmas Day, which is a great problem to have. I think in years past, you start to build a Christmas Day schedule and you fill in seven teams and you go, now what? <laughs> who, who else is going to be on Christmas? And I think now we had a hard time. There's a, there's a handful of teams that based on their performance last year, based on the star power of their players are missing from the Christmas day schedule. And in a normal year, you'd say, how, well, how did that happen? And the answer is, well, we got a lot of teams that have earned the right to be featured on those platforms. And if you want one of the missing teams to come in, you got to tell me who's going to come out, right? It's the same thing with, you know, people who make the top 10 list of players. If you, if you say someone's missing, who are they replacing? And I think, you start to, to question that. And then once you've got that set of 10 teams, as Tom said, I think our view is it's a, it's a little less about the matchup as featuring the teams and players who we know our fans want to see. So sure, there may not be a history or any rivalry with, with Dallas and Utah, but we know our fans like to tune in to see Luka Doncic. We know our fans like to tune in to see Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. 
they had the best record in the league last year. Like that is a game that's going to drive viewership in that 1030 window, whether or not there's a, a rivalry or a history, um, you know, to, to the Dallas Utah matchup. And so I think we have a, a, a great problem right now, which is an, an you know, uh, an overweighting of teams who deserve that profile. And, and, you know, that, that played itself out on the ABC schedule outside of Christmas. I think, I think Tom, we set a record, uh, at least under this current TV deal for the number of teams featured on the ABC schedule over the course of the season, because we have so many high profile teams at the moment and high profile stars who, who we want to get out to the national audience. No, I think that's right. I think that's objectively true. I mean, when we, we talk in the media about, you know, the races being a lot murkier this past uh, postseason um, or going into it and even going into next season, like we can all point to Lakers and Nets and the odds makers certainly have, but I think we all understand like there's, there's a pretty sizable group in both conferences that have a case to make and that hasn't always been the case. So that speaks to, to, to the, the, uh, challenge you guys face for the uh, scheduling Christmas. The other thing I thought about with the Christmas Day games, and maybe you can enlighten me on this part, the obvious thing would be like, yeah, if there are teams with bad blood or their rivalries or they played in the finals, they played in the conference finals, go ahead and match them back up. Or somebody got traded, match those guys up. And and we go for the grudge matches and the, the drama, the personality conflicts. But um, it seems to me that with some of these teams, you're also maybe looking to promote, tell me if I'm wrong, certain teams or players that maybe haven't gotten as much national run recently that what like what is the balance between going for just the obvious you know uh you know spicy matchup that everybody will immediately recognize oh yeah i want to see those two teams play each other again because they hate each other or there was a trade versus placing teams on christmas that you want to uh boost by giving them that national platform that maybe hadn't had as much prominence i think it's i think it's a little bit of both i think you want to take the opportunity to use it to promote uh, teams that may not have been in the national spotlight as much, maybe bef- maybe preceding last year's playoffs, right? So let's say a team like Atlanta. But Atlanta certainly played their way into getting on to Christmas by their performance throughout the playoffs last season. So they, they're, uh, they're a great example of that. I think the other thing is, you know, as, as Evan said, you've got a lot of marquee players the teams that fans want to see and this gives us an opportunity to do that and hopefully the two things come together you're growing by putting those teams in there and some of those teams are going to help are going to make it grow anyway i also Um, you know you you could also sort of question like there's the theoretical missing matchups and then there's the practical like to to look at our league and say well there were there were a bunch of obvious matchups of teams that have bad blood that people want to tune in to see on christmas day I'm not sure how long that list is and I'm not sure what you'd be sacrificing to make it happen. Right. So for example, if you wanted a particular spicy matchup that featured either the Nets or the Lakers, well then you can't have the Nets and Lakers play each other that day, which we know fans also want to see. So there's trade-offs and Christmas day isn't the only tent pole in our schedule. We have opening night where we've got uh, Nets, Nets playing the Bucks and, and uh, Warriors playing the Lakers and in, uh, in our play in rematch. And so you've got, lots of other opportunities to feature those same matchups. It doesn't have to be on Christmas day. We have our ABC uh, Saturday night temples. We have ABC Sundays. We have, you know, TNT obviously. So, so big, big games throughout the year. Um, you know, Christmas is just about maximizing eyeballs for the most few day in our calendar. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, bottom line is Michael Pena and Chris Herring were wrong about everything about the Christmas day schedule. They don't know what they're talking about. They should uh, apologize profusely and they'll make up for it to you guys uh, next year. You said it, not us. 
You said it, not us. It's their, it's their opinions and they're very valid and they're, that's absolutely fine. Um, it was an entertaining discussion by them. I will say people go subscribe to the open floor podcast. Attention all wrestling aficionados wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Before I get to, I've got some questions from Twitter about the schedule, but I want to hit the play-in real quick because Evan, you were on the pod a few months ago. We talked about this. The play-in tournament hadn't happened at that time yet, but you guys were happy about the effects that the existence of a play-in tournament had had on a level of competition down the stretch of the season. In other words, as an anti-tanking measure, uh, it seemed to work well. And then you said the thing you were waiting for essentially was, let's see how the tournament itself turns out, both in terms of quality of, of the games, but also, of course, the ratings. Um, as I understand it, playing is renewed for this coming season, but just this coming season. It's not yet a permanent fixture. So how happy was the league with the actual execution of the play in this past spring? Um, and to the extent that it seems like you're happy enough to renew it at least one more year, uh, where is the hesitancy? And I, I know this is a board of governors question, but where's the hesitancy that, as you understand it, to, to make this just uh, a, a permanent fixture? Yeah, I mean, when the games were pretty good, right? I think when you and I last spoke, I, like I said, I, we had to see how the games went and I think had a couple blowouts in there, but but all in all, um, really some of the biggest highlights of our season uh, and, and the viewership, num- viewership numbers matched. I think the Warriors-Lakers did just short of 6 million viewers, which was, was only outdone by uh, the Warriors-Mavs, sorry, Lakers-Mavs uh, last Christmas in terms of the entire season. Uh, pre-playoffs so to generate that level of fan interest that quality of competition you know an opportunity for a team like memphis to to make it in despite being the ninth seed build momentum and have a really compelling first round series with utah uh, all in all i think our, our assessment was that it was a big win and so we decided to continue it for this coming season as to the question of of why only one additional year we don't know how this plays out in again a normal year so much like the series we knew what it did in a in a pandemic shortened season with a compressed schedule and a bunch of you know uh, postponements and, and inequities across the schedule. We want to see how it does in a, a more normal schedule, uh, and if it and if it performs well, then I, I anticipate you'll you know you could see it going forward. But for now, it's it's yet another thing that we want to pilot in a in a traditional season before making the long term commitment. Gotcha. And there are certainly some owners who have been uh, vocal in their. Uh, I would say opposition slash misgivings, I, I guess. So no, um, no one, no one who wasn't in danger of falling into the seven or eight seed. <laughs> also, fair to note, essential to note. Uh, all right. Questions for Twitter. Um, you guys probably have heard this uh, ad nauseum in the last week, but in the, in the wake of the field of dreams game, we had a lot of people saying, so when is the NBA going to do its version of this? Uh, and my buddy, Michael leaves over to ESPN uh, even sent me the clip of he and L. Duncan talking about this. L. wanted to go with Knicks Nets at Rucker Park. And Michael Leaves being the uh, L.A. guy that he is or, or was at one time when I knew him back in the day. Uh, he went for Lakers Clippers at Venice Beach. Um, any possibility of anything like this happening? It seems like there are obviously a lot of potential obstacles, injury concerns on the blacktop. And I don't know how you create stands uh, for the fans. or what. I, it, 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 it sounds amazing and also potentially fraught any any talk of it i think that the, the biggest concern is the basketball when you highlight that that you know whether it's blacktop and injury concerns or you know a, a wooden court outside with humidity concerns and, and moisture that can get on the court uh, being beholden to rain all of those things you know become a, a consideration and we we, we did play a, an outdoor preseason game a number of years ago i believe in phoenix um, so we've explored it and, and we will continue to talk about it obviously the field of dreams game was incredibly successful so no surprise, it has has sparked some uh, some discussions, and it's worth exploring. But the logistical challenges of a basketball game outside are just significantly more than a, a baseball game, which of course is already outside. So we'll look at it. Um, and as a fan, I, I'd love to see it. It just we'd have to have to have, figure out how to do it safely. 
It would be yeah. insanely cool. I mean, <laughs> like that part everybody agrees on. How, how you actually pull it off is another thing, but it would be insanely cool. Yeah, we've discussed we've we've discussed this over over the years about playing in different venues. I was there when we played the game uh, outdoors in Palm Springs um, with the Phoenix Suns. It was a preseason game, um, which was great. Except by the fourth quarter, it was getting pretty daggone cold out there on the court, um, which is because it was wide open, obviously. So, um, so something really didn't anticipate um, the impact of. So, I think that's something that we'd have to go back into and find the right place uh, to play this. But that's certainly, it's a great, you know, um, National Hockey League's had great success playing their Winter Classic uh, in their stadium series. So, um, you know, trying to figure out what could work for us as well. If it's going to be, though, really authentic, one of the rims has to be, have some weird bend in it. And, you know, what they have to be like no nets or maybe the chain link nets. Um I look forward to the first time a game is lost because a gust of wind, you know, blew the ball off off uh, the rim as it was bouncing. If we if we ever do our in season tournament, then uh, we perhaps we can play the whole thing outside and, and modify the rules so that it doesn't affect, <laughs> you know, the, the chase for Larry O'Brien. It can be an entirely new competition that's that's played outdoors, and we get that uh, that same opportunity to see see our best playing uh, on on the the blacktop. The Rucker Cup. There we go. Done. Um, I had multiple people. I assume they're all Clipper fans complaining that the Clippers had four, count them, four stints of five games and seven nights. Um, I don't know what the gap between them and the next closest team is on five and seven, but... Uh, they have many, five, five and seven. Five. Your, your oh, complainers were wrong. They have oh, five. no. <laughs> uh, they, <laughs> Even they, worse. They why, do you, why are you guys so mean to the Clippers? That's the question. So they have five. There is another team with five. There is another team with four. And there are many teams with three. Uh, we are not mean to the Clippers. Um, <laughs> five and sevens are just one of many, many metrics that, that one can use to evaluate the schedule. Uh, you know, we look at everything from the travel miles to the total number of back-to-backs, the the no travel back-to-backs. So the, the Clippers, for example, play five uh, no travel back-to-backs, meaning either home-home or in the same city, which is among the highest in the league. So we try to look at teams' schedules in totality. We have another metric we love. We've talked about in the past called the, the fresh, tired, even metric which is a measure of relative rest, right? Whether you are on the back-to-back or your opponent is. Uh, and so, yes, in any given metric, someone has to be the most and someone has to be the least. Uh, that's how ranges work. But we try to make it, we do make it fair across all these metrics such that if someone is the highest in one metric, they're probably not going to be the highest in the others. And so, um, you know, Clippers and Portland actually are the two teams with the five, five and sevens this year. Uh, that's just where the, the chips fell. But of course, back to the conversation earlier, that just means they're going to have more instances of, two days off and three days off because when you compress one portion of the schedule that by definition means another portion is, is lighter. And so another team might say, wait a minute, I don't have any two day breaks and say, fine, but you don't have any five and seven. So uh, there's, there's any number of ways that a, a fan or a team, you know, could, could raise concern, but our view is that it, it's really competitively fair across the, the whole, the whole board. And of course, everyone is playing 82 games between October 19th and April 10th. So <laughs> on that basis, it's uh, it's incredibly balanced. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I I liked this question just because it was kind of a random one that didn't occur to me. But uh, Adam Hammaker uh, asked, do teams prefer one six game trip or two three gamers? Team by team preference, uh, I would say that Hmm. I I think Tom Tom could kind of share from the the 30 team tours we do. I would I would say the the median preference for a road trip is four games that the teams say, I want to go out for four and home for four and vice versa. And so um, 
you know, we have team, most teams cap out at six game road trips. We have a few sevens and uh, I believe one eight gamer, but that's the Spurs over their rodeo trip, which is split by all-star. So most teams are capping out at that six and seven, and they would say that's a game or two too long. But again, that saves the trip home, especially in a long one. So uh, really team by team though. And, and I've, I've directly said to teams, would you prefer two, three gamers or a six gamer? And they kind of go, eh. uh, so it's, 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 I don't think there's a clear answer to that. It's usually based on where and when and who, yeah. where am I going? Who am I playing? And what part of the schedule is it? But I think four is kind of the number that we've been using as our guidepost. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Evan mentioned the Spurs. And one of the questions I got, this was from Trevor Zickgraf. Um, he wondered about what input teams have into the, the building of the schedule and specific to the Spurs who have the rodeo trip, which I think you said was eight games long, plus they have a separate seven game trip. That's pretty brutal. So uh, give me the, the background on that one. So, so in, interesting backstory there. So you, you know our, uh, our former colleague, Hal Meng, who uh, ran our optimizer, working with Tom and, and, and I for the, and me for the last several years. Uh, Hal departed us uh, last winter for the Spurs, where he now works in their basketball operations group. Uh, and so we actually work closely with Hal. This would explain on, why I've not heard from Hal Meng in many months, yeah, because once you go behind the black and silver curtain there in San Antonio, it, it, you never hear from somebody again. I, Hal, if you're out there, I hope you're well. I look forward <laughs> to maybe waving at you from across a crowded arena at some point. If we shake hands, uh, you'll you, you'll be banished from the Spurs kingdom. So um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so so, so the, the rodeo trip is interesting because, again, because it spans All-Star, it, it looks on paper like an eight-game road trip. It's not. It's a, it's a, it's a four or five game trip before the break, then the break, and then another three game trip before they come home. So uh, that one is sort of different than it looks on paper. Their earlier season road trip was actually a, a request, um, you know, by the team not to be bouncing back and forth uh, so much between the Northeast where they were playing a number of games and um, uh, and back to San Antonio, which is, you know, a longer flight than, than some folks think. So that was actually catering to, to preference there. And it's Again, it, it's a it's a great way to to save travel, right? To to go up to the Northeast and play. I believe Toronto, Boston, Philly, New York, Brooklyn, all all in in one little stretch there, um, knocks out a bunch of games in one region without requiring a lot of travel. So, uh, you know, you speak to team preferences. I think that was one that that we worked with them, given given their arena issues with rodeo, given their their preferences on travel, to to try to create something that would, um, you know, be be most fair to them and other teams. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll throw this one to to Tom. Uh, This is his department, I believe. Uh, Jan Studebaker asked, and and this was in a positive way. They were pleased to see this. Why did the ABC Sunday doubleheaders return? It was an opportunity for us to get some more windows uh, on ABC in the last weekend of the season. We don't have, um, we don't have the Saturday night there. We lose a couple because of March, uh, March madness. So it was good. we're up to 19 games on ABC this year. So that's again, a conversation between us and the Walt Disney company about which games go on ABC and which games go on ESPN. And we thought it was best to try and do that. Um, I, I think back to the, you know, team preferences, you know, we talk to all the teams a lot. We talk to all the teams and we ask them if they have specific preferences, especially because if there's anomalies in their schedule, whether it's the team that hosts the All-Star game, in this case, Cleveland, you know, what to do around that. We ask teams if they want to, to submit priority dates, if there are certain dates that they want to play because of either a civic uh, event in town that they want to be part of or that they don't want to be part of because it's such a big civic event that they don't want to be playing there to be distracted from people's attention there. So we go through that. And I think we probably did the best we've ever done on, um, you know, following up on team requests and team priority requests and fulfilling them. 
So our guys did a great job on this, Pat Harrell, Gene Lee, and Matt Bressy on, on doing that and going through and keeping track of and making sure that we're cognizant of team requests and team priorities. And whether whether they're business or basketball or arena based, whatever, whatever it may come from. That segues nicely to uh, questions from two people on Twitter. Uh, Kale, C-A-L-E, Kale, not the uh, crunchy, uh, leafy stuff that we love in Brooklyn, um, asks, what kind of requests do teams make that influence the schedule? And then related to that from Chris McCabe, what is the strangest request? Um. Teams can re- teams request a lot of things. Teams request some that are based on travel. So, in other words, a team that is going to play is going to have Disney on ice, for example, in their building at a certain point of the season. They're going to want to make sure they try and get a home game as close to the beginning and as close to the end of that period as possible because they know they're going to be gone for, let's say, seven to ten days. Um, that's one. Another one I mentioned, there's a couple of teams that are have, that are very big. The New Year's Eve is a very big deal in their market. Um Indianapolis, Oklahoma City, for example, and they want to be part of that. Um, and they want to be part of the civic celebration there so that they want to have a game in that window. Um, Indiana requested to have a game on the weekend of the college football championship because the game's being played at Luke Soil Stadium. And they thought that would be a great opportunity for them to get a game there that weekend. So we did that. Um, you know, because you can look at it and say it's it's not going to be detrimental to anyone else. It's going to work, and that's the way we way we evaluate those. So that's a um, strange one. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to think a little bit about that about strange ones. Uh, any, not, any strange ones? No, I mean the the atypical ones are when teams ask to play. You know, we we, we sort of a time alluded to give teams priority dates, dates that they they feel strongly they want to play at home for one reason or another. Um, it's interesting because we have some teams who use those instead to say which dates they don't want to play at home, right? Either because like in some cases, the ownership group of the team might have a charity event. And so they want to make sure that their team is off that night so that the players and staff of the team can participate in the charity event. We have some of those instances where the ownership event is in a city where the team doesn't play. And so that team may say, I want to, you know, team X wants to play in city Y on date Z to coincide with an event in that market. Uh, so we end up with with some of those, which we, we can accommodate just like we can accommodate the, the home priority, but it's always a, a little more odd when a team is asking to play somewhere else on a specific date. Um, but but nothing, I don't think we've gotten anything that's sort of too outside the the realm of expectation that would uh, that would pique interest of our, our fans. I got a handful more if you guys have time. Sure. sure. Okay. Um, I assume this is from a, a Denver fan. Chris Process asks, uh, if the Nuggets omission from the Christmas Day slate, obviously in the sense that, you know, the Nuggets obviously have the reigning regular season MVP and obviously a, a great team. Is their omission from Christmas have anything to do with the weirdness of their whole TV arrangement? No. No. Okay. No, they host. They actually hosted Christmas the last two years um, and they're featured in um, as one of the 10-pole games on opening week on uh, the first Wednesday on ESPN. You know, and, and back to the conversation before about the, the, the good problem we have of a, a deep roster of teams, you know, you kind of look at get injuries and player availability and, you know, teams like the the Clippers and and the Nuggets not knowing whether we're going to have Kawhi Leonard or Jamal Murray available on Christmas Day and, you know, trying to place the best bets as to, to obviously Nicole Jokic is a, a huge star. He's our MVP, um, but but trying to, you know, feature those best matchups and, and sort of player health play, plays a role in that as well based on what we know now. 
I have one other team uh, based grievance here uh, from Twitter. Um, but I actually think it's an interesting question because it, it probably there's probably a really good explanation for this. And so now I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> the Twitter handle was NIT, N-I-T, TWIT, T-W-I-T, um, who asked, why do the Knicks have zero Saturday night games but nine Wednesday games? Uh, do you hate fun nights for Knicks fans? And it's strictly based on their availability. On, on arena availability. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we tried to, you know, we did the best we could to try and get some, but um, it was just very difficult. Yeah. No, I, fi- I figured that was going to be like the uh, most basic uh uh, boring, re- uh, you know, explanation that there could pro- pro- possibly be because that's usually the answer on on something as as complicated as the schedule. But I wasn't. I thought maybe you know, did the Knicks find that they weren't doing as well on Saturday nights or something, or they wanted to have more Wednesdays for a reason? Like I thought there could have been maybe something. No, the, the the number of Wednesdays certainly isn't a hook. We have we have Wednesdays is one of our highest the- game count nights, and so we have many teams with probably eight or nine or ten Wednesdays. Yeah. Um, the, the Knicks are a unique team that that weekday games do incredibly well for them because uh, the New York market, as you know, is is a market of uh, you know folks who are in the city during the week and coming to games on weeknights. And so, whereas you know some other teams may struggle with a Tuesday night seven o'clock game, uh, the Knicks do not. And so it's uh, it's certainly not a focus to to avoid weekend games, but it's it's less of an issue you know with their availability than it would be in some other places. Apologies to the person who asked this question because I like the question, but I, I forgot to jot down their their name on this one. But how do you determine um, same conference matchups where you're going against a team four times versus three? So uh, it, uh, the, the general guideline, of course, is that every team plays all the other teams in its own conference four times, teams in the other conference two times. Um, but sometimes you have three instead of four. It was What's the the determining factor there? Yeah, it's just a matrix that rotates every five years, so uh, or over a five-year period. So, in in every five-year stretch, you play each team once, three times, with one of the games being at the one game instance being at home, once, three times, with one of the home one of the games being on the road, and then the other three years you play them the four times, and that just rotates every five years. Um, last two here, uh, my guy Lucky Everett who I hear from a lot on Twitter, a very passionate NBA fan from overseas, asks if the schedule will ever cater to the international audience. I suspect that would be very difficult because it would mean uh, shifting your game times to times that might not work so well in the home markets. But uh, any any way to, to somehow uh, maximize the the international market by, by, by shifting things around? Oh, we, we do that. We've done that for the last number of years that we have what we call our international you know, primetime initiative where we have teams playing Saturday afternoons, uh, Eastern time, or, or, you know, to get into, let's call it 11 o'clock Western Europe, 11 p.m. Western Europe to follow our, uh, you know, big soccer matches in Europe. So we take a very, very careful look at that. And we work with our teams really closely to adjust the start time here and there, just specifically for that reason. Yeah. So if you, if you look at the Saturday schedules, essentially, you'll almost every week, you'll see, a game at either five or six Eastern, right? So if it's an Eastern time zone game, it's five or six. Of course, it's, if it's out West, it would be a, a two or three local game. Um, but really trying to target that consistent window uh, in Europe, Middle East and Africa uh, to drive viewership there. Obviously, a little harder the further west, you, the further sorry, east you get. Um, we've, we've tried to do a primetime India schedule in the past where we play games at noon consistently. That becomes a challenge with some arena availabilities. And for years, we've looked at how to get games in primetime in China um, but of course, that would require playing, you know, at, at 9 a.m., uh, which 
becomes a player health concern. And we found, you know, in working with with our China offices that actually our our, our morning window is, is a pretty good one because it's not competing with anything. And so a primetime game in the US that's that's early morning in China can actually generate pretty significant uh, viewership. And so we go market by market and try to find those opportunities. But yes, it, it, it is a challenge in, in some parts of the world. I'm glad I asked that because I actually didn't realize that the Saturday afternoon schedule was reflective of an of an attempt to uh, to to uh, maximize the overseas market. So that was, that was it, a good question. And the teams have been really cooperative about doing that. Um, we had to make a few last minute adjustments um, to try and get games in, but we really did. Uh, we really worked hard at that again this year. Especially especially our teams with European stars who who you know love the opportunity to feature those stars in their home markets. And so, you know, you, you see a, a team with a star from Europe saying, like, I'd, I'd love to play at 5 p.m. And, and be on primetime over there. Uh, last one, and it's actually a very broad one. I could have started with this, actually, but it's a, it's a good question. So this is from uh, Corey Brumbergs. He's asking that in your model, the, you know, the, the algorithm, the model that you guys use to, to spit out the schedule with all the factors that you guys are, are punching in, um, he asked, what are you actually optimizing for? And is it basically just expected TV and ticket revenue? Um, you know, what else all goes into that? What are you, what are you optimizing for? All of it. Uh, so, so we decided long ago, you can't, you can't optimize for any one thing because just without getting into a, a math lesson here, the way linear optimization works is either you need to say, I'm trying to maximize this one thing subject to not violating all these constraints, right? But we don't have hard and fast constraints. It's not like we're saying we can't have a back-to-back or we can't have travel. Like those things are a reality. And so you're trying to create a schedule that has the fewest number of back-to-backs and the fewest travel miles and the most opportunity for viewership and the most opportunity for gate and attendance. And those things are not zero sum. And so you can't write a traditional linear optimization code. So what you do is you do something called constraint-based optimization where you assign a penalty value to each of those things. So every back-to-back in the schedule gets a penalty. Every travel mile, incremental travel mile gets a penalty. Every um, opportunity, you know, every time we uh, don't feature a premier team on TV gets a penalty. Every time you don't satisfy a team's priority date, uh, their home priority date gets a penalty. And so you feed in what literally has grown over the last seven years to about a, a thousand or maybe even 1500 individual constraints in the schedule, each one with its own relative penalty value, reflecting the relative importance of that, right? Maybe we say it's really, really important, meaning we're going to lock in that the Nets are playing the Lakers on Christmas Day. So give that the highest penalty value. Don't show me any schedules where that game's not there because we want that game there. And then you run it through the system and say, go find the schedule that has the lowest aggregate penalty score. So what you're what you're optimizing is that penalty score. And it's on us as the humans to say, what's the relative prioritization of those things? What penalty score do you assign? And that that's where the art comes in and that's where the challenge is. But schedule might come back and you're like, hmm, I like this element, but I might've set the penalty score too low over here because look at this crazy travel pattern it created just to avoid some other outcome. And maybe you start to tweak the penalties and rerun it. But uh, the answer is you're, you're optimizing for this abstract penalty score that reflects all of the objectives, which is, again, over over a thousand. That was a great question. That was a really fascinating answer. I think I even understood most of that, Evan. Um, I told you, I, I, I didn't go into the math lesson. <laughs> that was that was about the max amount of math and, and logic uh, I could tolerate probably uh, before my head explodes. So uh, it's always a good day when I can understand everything you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thing. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, guys, this has been great. I'm glad we could uphold our annual tradition, including the uh, annual sub-tradition of struggling to schedule the schedulers uh, for the pod. But we did it. We pulled it off. Um, Tom Corelli, Evan Wash, thank you as always for making the time until next August when we meet again, maybe even in person. Um, this has been a blast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thank Tom. you very much, Harry. Well, appreciate yeah. it. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Evan Wash and Tom Corelli. Thanks to NBA PR ace Jim LaBombard for his assistance. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston. And thank you all, as always, for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Go subscribe to the Sports Illustrated Podcasts channel on YouTube and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.